Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. In his memoir, the English writer and traveler, William Somerset Maugham, reflected, I came back from each of my journeys a little different. It never occurred to me that my new experiences were having an effect on me, and it was not so long afterwards that I saw how they had formed my character. In contact with all these strange people, I lost the smoothness I had acquired when, leading the humdrum life, I was one of the stones in a bag. I got back my jagged edges. I was at last myself. These are stories of strange people who have lost their smoothness. Okay, tell me what you see, Will. Where are we and what, what do you see right now? What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, you've been recording the whole time. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we'll start right here. So tell me what you see. Um, well, we're in a pretty typical bar, a restaurant. Say some Americans. <laughs> a lot of uh, heads of bulls up on the walls, which is really. Así para mí chocos fritos. Chocos fritos. Y una cerveza también en la caña. All right, so in front of me, got two Americans, classmates. <laughs> and yeah, the the decor of this place is very, very typical, very typical Spanish. I'm talking about like lots of photo frames, lots of black and whites. <laughs> I kind of like the style, except there's like yeah, a lot of bullheads up on the walls. Yeah, I'm yeah. a I'm a vegetarian and I love animals, so I don't know the yeah. the bullheads don't really sit well with me. But you know, we're in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> now forgive me, I I didn't fully understand in Spanish. Did you become vegetarian recently in Spain? Yes. Yeah. That's that's a great place to start our conversation <laughs> <laughs> because. Our podcast is all about, you know, the changes that, that travel right. brings about. Uh, yeah, well, it's one of those things that I've thought about doing for a very long time. Um, yeah, my whole life I've loved animals. When I was younger, I wanted to become a vet to care for animals and that sort of thing. But, I don't know, I just never had the brain to do it. Um, I try to not speak so Australian. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, I just don't have the brain to do it um, in a sense of the study requirements. Um, like you need to get a you need to get a perfect score in high school, but this is subjects like physics, chemistry, biology. Uh, specialist maths, which is like the highest level of maths. You need pretty much a perfect score and everything to get in. And that sort of turned me off. But, yeah, I don't know, I've always been really fascinated by them. I've always been fascinated by human behaviour as well. Um, it's just, I don't know, I just think that the way that animals are treated and the way that humans, you know, the way it's all processed is very unnatural. And I've always thought this. Um, and I've seen footage of how it's all produced. I mean, obviously, when you see footage of how it's produced, it's the worst of the worst to get you to change your mind. But I think that we as humans, like, we need to be more open-minded to this sort of thing. And for me, just being in Spain was a great opportunity to do it, to make the change to vegetarianism, 
What's that? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> in, a sense, timing, in, in the sense of in the sense of dining out. What you got out there? Agua. Agua. Uh, solo. Um, Spain for me was an opportunity to change my eating habits for two reasons. Well, I don't know if it's two reasons. Probably more than that. Um, I've got complete freedom here. I control everything I do where back home I was living living with my parents, you know, growing up in a Greek family where my dad's always cooking, you know, delicious slow roasted pork belly over like fire or like homemade sausages and steaks and mum's cooking up like chicken soup and casseroles and all this kind of like typical Greek food that's, you know, like most European foods, like where there are lots of vegetable and plant-based meals. You've also got a lot of meat-based meals too, but I guess we te- we seem to grasp onto the, the meat-based meals more so than the plant-based meals. So being here really for me was an opportunity to explore, you know, cooking in a different way because Sunday for me back home meant cooking up chicken with my brother on the barbecue, you know, preparing for the working week, you know, cooking up heaps of rice and heaps of chicken and getting the lunches ready. But... So you um, changed, you changed your eating regimen when you came Yeah. So it's been good for two reasons. Like, first of all, I'm saving a lot of money because I'm not working here. And the exchange rate from the Australian dollar to the euro is not as strong as US dollar to the euro. Um, so I'm saving a lot of money in that sense. I mean, the meat here is not that good anyway. Um, I've bought pork fillets and that from the supermarket. And it doesn't taste that great anyway. I don't miss it. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I feel a lot better too. Yeah. Just have to make sure I'm eating enough and I'm eating often enough. Um, but yeah, it's just this whole experience of traveling for me has been about developing myself, really. About you know learning more about me and learning how to cope with me and just changing the way I eat has been just another one of those things that's helped me, I guess, realize how I want to live and having complete freedom of all decisions I make, really. So is this some the food changes? Is it something you planned as you were preparing for the trip, or something you decided nah. when you got here? Like, no, nah, it was um, it was actually um, my sister sent me a link to a video because my sister's a vegetarian. She went to India, and India changed her. She came back a lot more spiritual. We need to interview her. Okay? <laughs> Sometimes set it up. Set us up. Well, she's actually going to be in Sevilla one night. She's got one night in Sevilla before we go to Morocco. Yeah, before Perfect. we go to Morocco. All right. Um, so, so yeah, she she changed once she went to India. She was always borderline because she was much like me, where she didn't like the process. She didn't like the way humans go about doing things, especially when it comes to like environmental issues and that kind of thing. You know, very deep and political. But um, when she came back, she was like, "The food I ate over there, I didn't eat meat once over there. I didn't eat dairy once over there." I don't need that in my life. If I can learn to cook their food, I can live happily. And that's what she's done. She's changed her diet. She does eat fish now because she has the same problems as I do. Because when you go out, you know, if you're spending, you know, for her, she's living in Leeds at the moment. She doesn't really want to spend 10 pounds on a salad. Yeah. You know, so that works out to more than 20 Australian dollars. So she'd rather spend a bit more and have, you know, a nice salmon fillet or something like that. So she'll still eat fish. She'll still eat... Um, dairy, but for her she had that change as well. Um, anyway, 
tangents. I'm, I'm, I'm very much one of those people that goes off on tangents. The we question like, might be this and the answer is over here. We like tangents. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, my sister just sent me a link to a video. Um, it was... It was like the first, it was the video you were talking about before, Alison, the, the one of the, the baby chicks, like the first day and like the first day and from their point of view where they're like thrown onto conveyor belts, all these live animals that because they they can't lay eggs, they all literally just get destroyed instantly. But before that, they're like crammed into boxes and pretty much suffocating and stomping on each other. And, you know, it's that's okay, you know, the way humans are because we... We're very closed-minded people. People don't like to change. So, therefore, that kind of behaviour is okay. And for me, I saw that. I'm like, well, no, that's not okay. I don't agree with that. I never agreed with animal cruelty. So, for me, that video just sort of made me go, all right, I've got complete freedom of my decisions here, so I'm going to make the change now. So, it sounds like you like to change. Yeah. As opposed to other people, why... Why is that? I just like seeing personal development. I like challenges as well. I mean, part of that, part of my reason coming here, you know, I had a good back home. You know, I had a job that, you know, I wasn't happy with my job. It was working in an office, sales, I mean, nothing incredible. Tell us but, about that. What was that like? Um, it sounds like it's, it's a lot of, it's about a lot more than just food. You're, <laughs> you're coming here. I think um, there's a deep story. Yeah, well, well, in reality, I... It was, it was a dream for a long time to come to Spain to... It was a dream for a long time to come to Spain and just try living in another country, living overseas for a year, if that's living or travelling. So at the moment I'm doing a bit of both. Um, how do you... What do you mean? So, living and travelling, how do you distinguish Well, those? I guess living in a sense of settling down in a place for, you know, more than more than a month at a time and really getting to know the culture of the place too versus travelling where you're sort of in a city for three weeks move on to another city then you're in another country and you're just sort of partying and trying to meet as many people as you can short term friends and acquaintances where I guess living you're literally putting yourself out there trying to meet people that are going to be staying for a long time as well um, so for me that always appealed to me I don't know why, because it's terrifying. It's a huge change. I mean, I've never lived out of home. I've never had to fully support myself back home because, you know, living with my parents, you know, especially living in a Greek in a Greek household, it's like there's no expectation to pay rent. There's no expectation to pay bills. Really? It's like, yeah, it's literally, I'd get home from work, I could go to the gym, I could practice guitar, mum's cooked dinner, and that's good to go. Yeah. But now yeah. it's all... How old are you? <laughs> I'm 26 now. I'm 26 now, but um, that's normal. In Australia, it's normal. The property value is huge at the moment. See? See? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to slip into Spanish a few times during this interview. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's a good thing. It's, it's pretty common. Like, most of well, my mates are starting to move out now, and they're all like 26, 27. Yeah. And they're renting. Like, no one's buying. And they're probably together, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. I've got three mates, they're all renting together. Yeah. I've got a mate and his girlfriend that are living together. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. The rest of my mates, oh, no, I've got a few other mates that are out of home as well because they're in serious relationships or engaged. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, my last job was just working in office, working in sales, and 
you know, there's, there's no drive, there's no passion. Wait, hang on a sec. There's a question I always ask people when we start out, and this is an opportune moment. Uh-huh. Can you describe yourself, what you look like, for the audience? So they can picture <laughs> you. And particularly, you just made a face when you started describing your office. <laughs> well, I can't describe that face because I don't know what that face was that I just made. Um, well, I've got Greek heritage, so I've got very, I've got the Mediterranean look, um, olive skin, bit of a thick beard and moustache happening. Not quite as thick as Seth's. Seth's got some serious facial hair going. Like if I try to grow that, I just look like an Arab. It just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Perfect. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, just take, take a stab at describing that expression. Or what, what were you feeling when you were, you know, it looked like you were picturing yourself back in that office. I don't know, maybe... I don't know, maybe a little bit of fear. Interesting. Maybe, maybe a little bit of fear that I'll end up doing something like that for the rest of my life. You know, I was working in an office, I've worked in offices for about four and a half years in total. Once when I was 20, 21, I did an internship with a with a car company that's actually under the GM branch. Okay. Um, well, under the GM umbrella. I did a year there and I was like, whatever, it was an internship, you know, it's not good, it's, it's ordinary work because, you know, I'm a student. I didn't expect it to be incredible. But then when I got into the real workforce and did, you know, three and a half years working the same job with one really low pay rise, with no changes in roles, with empty promises made, you just lose motivation. I remember being told that, okay, you're going to be getting a $15,000 pay rise, you're going to be, you're going to change roles, you're actually going to be a sales rep, you're going to be out meeting clients and trying to win your business, all this sort of thing. I'm like, oh, great. Even if this isn't where my passion is, it's a chance to grow, it's a chance to develop, you know, both social skills, interpersonal skills, um, business skills. And maybe you'll give me a bit more interest in actually developing myself in the business world. But, you know, there was broken promises there and I just didn't feel the urge to fight it because I'm like, well, you know, you're not giving me anything, so I don't want to give you anything. And that's just how it was. And I guess working there, working my last job, became more of a... It was just like a gateway to being here, really. Like, saved really well. I saved a lot of money. Um, I've always been good at saving money and you know that's that's paying for me to be here now yeah, um, yeah I guess do you want to pause there and eat? <laughs> oh sure <laughs> not big fans of advertising. <laughs> no offense to our friends in advertising. So this is kind of an anti-ad. Allison, what's your favorite nonprofit? Kiva. Kiva? How do you spell that? K-I-V-A. What is Kiva? Kiva uh, uses microfinance to lend to small business owners. Where? In countries all over the world. What kind of small business owners? Um, well, it would range from 
artisans in Guatemala to somebody starting a convenience store in Cambodia. And how much do you lend usually through Kiva? Um, you can start out lending $25, but you can lend as much as you want. Uh, but the idea is enough people get together and lend $25 that it usually covers the entire loan that the person needs, which may be $1,000 or $2,000 to improve their business or start their business. And they pay it back? Yep. They usually pay it back within one year. Sounds great. How did you learn about Kiva? I learned about it through reading uh, Nick Kristoff's book, A Path Appears. I would second a recommendation on that. Everyone should read it, right? Yep. Thanks, Allison. Mm -hmm. What did you study in college? Business and marketing. As I got further into the um, degree, I was thinking, wow, this is evil. <laughs> this is so evil. Do I want to be a part of this? Going back to school for business. Each to their own. It's not. I mean, well, no, because I think it's evil. But I also feel like I have to confirm that with my own eyes. I can't go through my whole life just thinking that from afar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like to really be a good person, I have to go know that. Yeah. But it sounds like you know it already. <laughs> what What made you think it was evil? Marketing. <laughs> That's what That's she says. <laughs> It's evil because it's it's paying. There's so much money in it as well. There's a massive, like a multi-billion-dollar industry in figuring out what people think and how we can get their money. I mean, even if, even if it's a charity, I mean, charities for a good cause. But still, end of the day, it's about how can I convince you to give me your money. And that's, you know, if I was to say what's marketing in, like, in one bullet point, it's that. So how did you end up on this path? Did you not know when you signed up? Like, well, I'm not, sh I'm not sure how it is in the States. But um, in Australia, like, once you're in high school, when you're in your final year of um, high school, yeah, I mean, all your subjects that you select are all relevant to what you want to do when you get to university. And I love business management in, um, in high school. I guess they always make it out to be a lot softer than what it actually is because you don't have corporate experience. You don't know what the corporate politics is like. You don't know what corporate politics is like. Yeah. I mean, as a student, you just have this idea of, cool, I get to wear a suit to work every day. How cool would that be? I get to, you know, I get to wear a suit and tell people what to do and you know, make heaps of money, and it's going to be awesome. Then once you actually get your foot in the door, you start working corporate, you're like, I mean, unless you've got that corporate drive, like I know people that have got corporate drive, they want to climb that ladder. They want to be running multi-million dollar businesses. Like, for me, the stress isn't worth it. Um, Can you give a concrete example of the, the stress or the moment when you decided it wasn't worth it for you? Did something happen? Yeah, or did somebody like say some really comment? Just, like, no, well, it wasn't... Oh, the poor <laughs> <laughs> well, look, in the sense of marketing, it can be good used for good purposes, but like, with my previous job, 
mean, I don't want to. I don't want to shit can my previous job too much because obviously it's there's been a lot of benefits sure. to working there. But it's just, I think it was just the the daily routine of, you know, you literally you wake up and every morning you think it's only Wednesday, and you look forward to those you know three nights or two nights. You get Friday night, and you get Saturday night to live, and you get Sunday to recover if you're a party animal. And for me, that's just not the way life should be lived. You know, we should like we should live every moment. And when you're at work, and if you're so if you're so disappointed with your job, it's like, well, why am I here? Why am I doing this? There's a Steve Jobs quote, and I remember I had it printed out and up on my wall in uh, in the office, like for everyone to see. I just didn't care. It got to the point where I didn't care. And it was about change. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but there's something along the lines of every morning I wake up and I look at myself in the mirror and I think, do I want to do what I'm about to do today? If that answer is no too many times in a row, then I know I have to change something. And I saw that and I was like, I need to make this Europe thing happen. I need to make Spain happen. I've been thinking about it for a long time and now I'm like, this is kind of my out from the office and just take a step back and review my life and see what I actually want to do with it. Um, I guess it was the moment. It really wasn't a pinpoint moment, but it was just a build-up of things, knowing that I wasn't happy working in an office, in that environment where you're, you know, sitting down, trying to keep your posture right so you don't, so you don't have a bad back. You know, trying to, just working away, typing, and you're making sure that you're doing your best job so that someone else gets paid more. And that's the way I saw it. You know, the CEO would be earning, you know, what was he earning? He was earning a lot. It was like a high six-figure salary. Where, six, yeah, high six-figure salary where the rest of us were sort of like, oh, but we can't get a pay rise because there's, because there's not enough money in the business. He's getting really deep. Um... <laughs> That's the goal, by the way. What's that? That's the goal, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, yeah, it's a, it's a printing company, right? So, obviously, printing is a shrinking industry with environmental concerns and that kind of thing. So, every day, oh, there's not enough money for people to get their pay rises and their Christmas bonuses and all this sort of thing. Meanwhile, the, the CEO gets, like, a six-figure bonus at the end of the year. It's like, okay, well, how about you keep your, your employees happy so we do a better job for you? But it doesn't work that way. And for me, it was just like that whole corporate politics of bureaucracy, especially like with CEOs, they're all old school. You know, we're the next generation of CEOs if we stick to that. And I think the way the corporate world will be run in the future will be completely different to the way it's run now. But I just hated that. Like, there's no, there's like no autonomy. Like, I can work my ass off. I can work 100 hours a week and get paid the same at the end of the month. Or I can work two hours a week literally rock up to work, drink coffee, talk with the guys, talk with the girls, respond to a few emails, let all the emails bank up, and I get paid the same at the end of the month. So for me, I'm like, well, I'm just going to do what I have to do. I'm not going to put in any extra. And literally, I had this huge change in my head. I had this huge change in my, in my mind, and I was just like, I can't do corporate. I can't do corporate. I mean, unless it's something I'm truly passionate about and some in a, in a business where they really recognise what you do and they reward you for it. It doesn't have to be like a monetary reward. Even if it's like, hey, you did a really good good job last week, here's a bottle of whiskey. 
you know, something like that. Just little tokens of appreciation that goes a long way. But human touch, just humanity. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. But um, yeah, that was the drive for me to come to Europe. And plus, my mates really wanted to go to a festival too, Tomorrowland. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a big electronic, bigger electronic music festival. I mean, not really my thing, but my my best mates wanted to go, so. My best mates wanted to go, and I saw that as an opportunity to to get here. Because I don't know if I'd have the courage to get on a plane by myself to Spain, you know, the other side of the world, where I've never lived out of home, back home. First time I'm really living independently is on the other side of the world. The only contact I have with home is either through text or through video call. You know, it's completely different, completely different ballpark. But um, well, then, go ahead. Whoa. So, being here. Like, have you had some kind of uh, revelation of what it is you really want to do? Well, yeah, we we catch you five months later, six months later. Mm-hmm. After this, you've been here six months. Yes. So yeah, what what have you found? Well, about myself. Yeah. You, you want to know? Yeah, I mean. Like, yeah. Have you found a path? An alternative. Kind of still... Well, I've learned that. I think I've definitely got a gift for languages, for learning languages. You certainly do. You're really fast at Spanish. I'm insanely <laughs> jealous in the class. Me gusta mucho me gusta mucho cuando hablo los los otros idiomas. Es muy divertido, muy divertido. Me encanta. Um, but I guess that's also partly because being from a Greek family, being surrounded by Greek, and having studied Greek for a long time in my life. I guess pronunciation for me was never a problem. A lot of people tell me that I don't have an accent when I speak Spanish. It's just neutral, so that everyone's like, "Where are you from?" Um, and the, I guess the melody of Greek and Spanish is very similar too. If I was sitting at a table with with a Greek and a Spaniard, and they were both speaking their own language, I'd, my head would <laughs> explode. It sounds so similar. It sounds very similar. That said, I'm not fluent in Greek at all. I've forgotten pretty much all of my Greek. Every so often speaking Spanish, then, you know, some Greek words will come through. But, so yeah, in a sense of, I've got a, I've got a gift for languages, or not gift, I have the ability to, to learn languages. So, like that said, I know that once I'm, once I'm home, I want to start studying Greek again, and I'm going to, I don't want to speak English yet. Uh, in the house because my parents speak Greek they speak English but you know my whole life there's always been this excuse and I don't know what the excuse is but we've just never spoken Greek at, at home I've got cousins that only speak Greek at home and they're all fluent and whenever I hear them speaking with their grandparents and having a laugh with their grandparents it kills me because I can't have a proper conversation with my grandmother and like that's one thing that I want I want to be able to sit down and just have a chat and have a Wait, proper... does she not speak English? No. She's been living in, the, in Australia for like more than 40 years. But that's immigration, right? They all immigrate together. Immigrate? Yeah. They all immigrate together and they stick together. But yeah, so once I get once I get back home, I want to study Greek again and just start speaking Greek at I, home with my family. This is a hard question, but... Mm-hmm. Do you think they have the same feelings as you, you know? They feel the same dissatisfaction. I mean, it's two different kinds of travel, you know? Like, yeah. are they the ones that came from Greece? 
yeah, through Australia, and they found themselves in this kind of work situation, and, you know what I mean, do you ever think about that? I... So my grandparents decided that they were going to move to Australia. Every, every drachma that they had, they used to come to Australia, and it was going to be for about four years, work hard, put the kids through education, and then go back. But they realised the opportunity that that was there in Australia, and they just never left. Yeah. Um, Do they talk about that with you? Or I mean, I guess you said you don't talk to them. I know. Oh, I know. I know the story of them immigrating over. But it's like I guess hearing the story firsthand from my grandmother. My grandfather's passed away now. But hearing the story firsthand from my grandmother is always a bit different because she'll she'll explain it, but. It's whether or not I understand it properly. Right. Because I've asked her about questions during World War II as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, the way I sort of understand things is one way, but then my mum will explain it again, and I'm like, okay, I kind of got the gist. Yeah. And, so yeah, I guess in that sense, that's why I really want to improve my language. And I think coming to Spain has made me real. I mean, I've, my whole life, I've never had anything to do with Spanish. The closest thing I've had to do with Spanish was, you know, First of all, listening to Spanish classical guitar, you know, pieces like Asturias, Los Regales, then moving on to flamenco. That was like the closest thing my life has ever had to Spanish. And also thinking Spanish women are really hot. Like, that's just (laughs) typical, right? Yeah. But then, yeah, like this, something clicked in my head. I'm like, I want to go to Spain, I want to learn flamenco. And um, it just made it happen. And being here and learning the language, I can't remember what I'm talking about now. Well, uh, <laughs> I wish Allison were still sitting here. I think her question that she asked was, what have you learned about here? me? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I think she's really curious. Have you found the alternative to working in the office? <laughs> wow, that was a huge tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way back. But it was a good tangent. I mean, wait, before we get back to that, yeah. let me ask this question. So do you think of yourself as an immigrant? Like, in the context of your family, you know what I mean? Like, uh. you're kind of seeking a better life. I, I ask because it's something I toy with in my mind, you know, am I an immigrant? It's totally yep. different than the stories of immigration I've heard yep. from my ancestors. And You know what I mean? Do you mean, do I feel like an immigrant in Australia or in Spain? In Spain. I in mean, Spain. You've, emig- you've mm, immigrated, cool. right? Haven't you? <laughs> Have you? I don't know. I don't see it as immigration. I, I see it as a choice. I think if you immigrate somewhere, it's out of need or there's some kind of... There's some kind of... I guess I'm here for a need as well, and that need is myself. But I don't I don't feel like an immigrant here at all. I see myself as, I don't know, more of a, a nomad, a middle uh, quarter-life crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just for me more... It's more so just a... The self-experience, like a self-growth and life experience yeah. kind of thing. I mean, I was thinking about this today, actually. Like, this is one year out of my life, and you know, if I'm lucky enough to live past, I don't know if you call it lucky, to live past 80 or something like that. You know, it's one year out of 79 years I've been in Australia. So, you know, even when the times get really tough, you know, just push through and got to live it, got to live it to its fullest. But um, I don't really feel like an immigrant I don't feel like a tourist either I guess I'm sort of like a borderline of student and a novelty at times as well because when I speak to the locals and you know they find out I'm Australian it's always 
always the same reaction. Like, oh, australiano, que lejo, no? Ah, joder, kangaroo. Hace surf? It's like, always, like, with the Australian stereotypes, like, do you surf? There must be kangaroos everywhere. And that's really far. So I guess... You know, it's a bit of a novelty still. Like I'm not over that. Yeah, I still, yeah, yeah. I still get a, still get a kick that. out of it. Yeah, still yeah. get a kick out of it because I guess for them, for the Spain, there are a lot of French people in Sevilla. A lot of French here. And I guess to be something different feels nice. Yeah. And why? I guess because you get a bit more attention. Like, and in a sense, of people are genuinely interested. Because you know, when you're living back home, like you know the same. Like. You can't like people back in the states. Like, right? Back in the states, like you can't just go to a bar and be like, "Hey, right, where are you from?" Right. The United States. Like, what do you think? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and that's what it's like. But we're here. You know, you can hear someone speak English, but they've got some. They got some mix of an accent. You're like, where are you from? Yeah. So yeah. I guess in that sense, the novelty is still fun. Yeah. And it's like you, I can go to a bar and feel a lot more confident talking to other people and meeting other people too because chances are that they're going to be more interested in your story than when you're back home. You, when you're back home, as you know, everyone has their guard up. Yeah. Everyone, oh, wait, what do you mean? Everyone has their guard up when you're back home. It's like, I mean, I was talking to this Australian girl that was on one of my tours through the, through the Greek islands. She's from Sydney. And when we started the tour, you know, she was talking to my mates and I was like, I just had to come and talk to you guys. You guys look like awesome guys to chat with. And we were hanging out for a long time, you know, just lazing by the pool, drinking, hanging out in the sun, getting to know each other. And she was saying how funny it is that if this was back in Sydney, well, I'm from Melbourne, but she's from Sydney, she goes, if this was back in Sydney and if you boys came up to me and started talking to me, she'd be like, what are you doing? I'm here with my friends. Don't talk to me. I don't care about you. But all of a sudden, when you're traveling, everyone's mind just opens up. How so? Put, put more words on it. I know what you mean. More words on yeah, it. It's like, yeah. everyone's more willing to try new things willing to meet new people they want to explore more I mean think about it. how many like national parks and beautiful places you could go back where you live right right but you haven't gone because it's back home right same as me there are so many places I can go back home to visit but I just don't go it's like it's a three hour drive but it's like well I've only got the weekend to do it so I'm not going to waste you know three hours there three hours back right. where I could be doing something else or when you're traveling, it's like you've got all this free time, so that straight away you know you don't have any responsibility, so your mind changes, your mind opens up. You're like, I'm gonna talk to that guy, I'm gonna talk to that girl, I'm gonna try that food that looks like it's still alive, but I'm gonna eat it anyway. Where if that was back home, you'd be like, I'm just gonna go get a burger and grab a few beers and go to the same bar as I always go. You know, you know, just when you travel, like your mind just opens up completely. I don't know if there's like a chemical change or not, but I think. You know, everyone, there's that romantic idea of traveling and exploring the world and kind of forget about exploring where we live. Like, so many people I've met here have asked me about Australia. I'm like, oh, have you been here? Have you been there? I'm like, no. I haven't visited all the Australian cities and there's only like six. Right, right. <laughs> I've seen half of them. I'm just not interested in going to see them. Yeah. But, you know, I know they've all got their beauty as well. And I guess that's one of the, another one of the things that you know, when you're traveling, you just really open up because everything is so alien. Yeah. Everything is so different. And you just want to explore that new culture. But, you know, I mean... Let me ask two more questions, uh, and we'll try to bring it to a close. Um, 
So I, I think you were asking before what's the alternative to the office, right? Yeah. I think we all want to know. Yeah. We all want to know. I mean, yeah. everyone listening is dying to know. <laughs> you know, well, you haven't found it yet, but do you think you will? Well, I think I think I have found it, and um, I guess it's one of those things that I think I've always known, but have never been willing to take the step into doing it. And now that I'm 26, I'm like even a, I'm a bit more hesitant to do it. Um, during high school, I always loved working with my hands, like during uh, woodwork, building furniture. But like I've built um, a coffee table that we use at home. I've built a wine rack that we use at home. And I've built, a, nothing exciting, a bread box. There's something to store bread in with like glass fitting on it and all that kind of thing. I've always loved building stuff and destroying things too. Um, so... I guess that's always sort of been in the back of my mind, but just talking to my mates about, you know, you know, what do I want to do with my life? You know, everyone seems to have finished their masters or, you know, they're well on track and building their careers, but it is me like running away from life and, you know, I guess living in living in Spain and using music as a as an outlet. Um, so I think I've I've decided like now when I close my eyes, I see myself in the high vis. Like, um, so that's really Australian like high visibility t-shirt it's like you know the fluoro like that builders wear like that bright fluoro yellow I've never heard that that uh, version before yeah, we, just, we call it high yeah, vis yeah, yeah. Um, you know wearing the high vis t-shirt with the steel cap boots and just like either as working as a carpenter building you know houses yeah. decking and all that sort of thing or getting into cabinet making, kitchen building, furniture making, all that kind of thing. But I know that's what I love to do. I haven't done it since high school. You know, I've hardly worked with tools since high school, but I know just having like a having a machine that's just gonna like slice the wood up and you've got to measure it all and design it. To me that's really exciting. Okay, can you describe your face right now? <laughs> okay, complete it's the complete opposite of what it was when I was talking about the office. So you've got a huge smile right now. Basically like <laughs> When I was talking about the office, I guess I looked a bit like a bloodhound with like the droopy face and a bit disappointed. But then, right now, you know, you're dangling a piece of steak over the head of a over a, the head of a you know of a Labrador or something. You know, it just just the thought of it really excites me. Yeah. And I know the type of person I am. Like, I mean, I'm sure it's the same with a lot of people. When I talk about things I love, you know, I just keep talking and. I guess that emotion expresses in my face as well. So, last question. Let's see if we can do this, okay? <laughs> uh, we like to end with, you know, a great story of travel. So, if you could tell a story of where you... You got this, this inspiration. That would be great. No pressure, okay? If this you can, just tell a great story. Just tell your story. You know what I mean? If you have this a is, moment, this is hard, like, if, you, if you had a moment where you, I don't know, where you realized that through your travel, like, did you see any work here in Spain that inspired you? Or? Well, I guess no. It's more so, more so. I guess I made up my mind just being away from the routine of being at home. Sure. And that was, you know, self-discovery was a huge part of me coming here as well. So, yeah, it wasn't like sure, walking no, along and seeing like no a moment. bunch of Spanish guys, you know, building something. It wasn't that. Yeah, that's fine. So, so in that case, yeah. just uh, lay one of your greatest stories on us. <laughs> oh. 
uh, the stories that are inappropriate. There are stories. Um, what about like a flamingo story? Wait, actually, I want to save that. I want to do a second interview. With all about flamenco. I want to try again another night and get a flamenco show. All right. We haven't even talked about it, but we've yes, got so much true. good material here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course. You can do part one, part two. Exactly. <laughs> Where? I guess whenever I think of a travel story, I always try to think of something that will make people give me a are you serious look like a really why like can you describe what that look looks like no. just like just the jaw drop the, the blank expression the what and again it's sort of like counterintuitive it goes against my whole animal rights thing I felt horrible when I did it I wasn't a vegetarian at the time when I did it but I did it for the experience it was in Vietnam so back in 2012 now um we're in, I was with my best mate, we're in Hanoi, and the, um, the hostel organised a snake tour, a snake restaurant, well, not a tour, but a snake restaurant experience, and I remember I'd seen what they do on Top Gear, because Top Gear, they went through Vietnam and did all these things, I'm like, what, why would people ever do that? But then at the hostel, I'm like, hang on, I've got an opportunity to do that, so I might do that. So basically, the way they sell it to you is this. So we go, we go to the snake restaurant, there are 12 plates of, 12 different dishes of snake meat, and it's all served up in a different way. There's plenty of rice served up, and with every plate, there's a shot of rice wine as well. So by the end of the meal, you've had 12 shots of rice wine. But the first two shots of rice wine, they're infused with snake blood, and the other one's infused with snake bite. So I guess it's one of those, you know, you drink the bile and it's like a strength thing. No, this isn't the face yet. Um, so we get to the restaurant and, you know, they show you the snakes and all that kind of thing. Like, this is what you're going to be eating. Kind of like when you go to a seafood restaurant, they pull the lobster out for you. And there's some gross, inhumane, horrible tradition that they do that I took part in. Sorry. <laughs> Um, and what they do, so my best mate, he wasn't willing to do it. So what they do, they take the snake out of the cage and they turn it upside down and they hold it down. They gave my mate a, um, a scalpel. And what they do, they tell you where to make an incision and they cut right above the snake's heart. And with me, I, ha- I had my hands behind my back. And I ripped the snake's beating heart out of its body with my mouth. And they're like, hold it in your mouth. What does it feel like? I'm like, no, nah, this is horrible. It's moving. It's moving. So is that like a delicacy for them? Or is that yeah, just something I mean, that they do to amp up tourists? I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't know the history behind it, but I don't know if it's like an ancient Chinese medicine type thing. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know much about Vietnamese history or anything like that. Because I know like the Chinese, they kill tigers to to get the bone, right? <laughs> to make bone tea or something like that for strength. Um, but I, I don't know what the story behind it is, but I just remember doing it and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you chew it? How big is the heart? It's not that big. Maybe the tip of your pinky finger. Maybe a bit smaller, but the way it feels, like you remember when, remember when you're young and your teeth fall out and your gum is really soft? and it's bleeding and it's warm it was like the same texture but moving in my mouth and then they like cut off the head and they start filleting it and preparing it and the meat's delicious as well like the way they prepare it's really good um 
but yeah, that's probably my. That, that, I don't know why. That's the, the travel story that always comes to mind first. That's great. Great story. You told it really well, too. I've told it a few times. I did not expect that story <laughs> after the beginning of this episode. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of other stories, too. That was perfect. Thank you so much, Will. Uh, no worries. I really enjoyed it. That was fun. And uh, I always thank our guests for speaking English. Un poco de español también. And thank you to Will for giving us a taste of his flamenco skills uh, outside the cathedral after that interview. And thank you to him again for telling such a great story to kick off our new podcast. We also want to thank all the other people that have recorded episodes with us so far. We'll be releasing an episode a week. Uh, as long as we can, as long as we keep meeting interesting people with thoughts about travel and stories to tell. We also want to give a special thanks to Dana Boulay. That's D-A-N-A-B-O-U-L-E with an accent mark. I think it's French. Uh, she made the accordion music that, uh, that started us off and that you're about to hear momentarily. Thanks for listening.